0: Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Monday, December 7th. Thank you, Calgary. Friday's Pledge Day here on 770 CHQR was a huge success thanks to the generosity of all of you. Head Elf Betty Jo Kaiser gives us the new total for our 2020 campaign. Extremist groups have been promoting disinformation about COVID-19 in an attempt to capitalize on the pandemic. We get details from Global's National Online Investigative Journalist, Stuart Bell. How can you give your kids the gift of financial education this Christmas. We talked to a certified financial educator about how to talk money with your kids. Last week was one of the most devastating weeks in the U.S. since the coronavirus pandemic began nine months ago. We'll get an update on the record number of illnesses, hospitalizations, and deaths from Global's Washington correspondent, Reggie Cicchini. And our on-call family physician, Dr. Ted Jablonski, shares information about a new tool in the battle against breast cancer that could change the way patients get treated treatment. Seven oh nine this morning as we check in with Betty Jo Kaiser, head elf when it comes to Pledge Day and the <laughs> Calgary Children's Foundation. Good morning, Betty Jo. Good morning, Sue. Wow, what a Friday we had! The generosity of Calgarians—it just—it it continues to shock me year after year. And as Dave McIver put it this morning, Betty Jo, you know we can disagree about mass and politics and all of that, but Calgarians and Albertans come together when there's a need.
1: Oh isn't that the truth? It was so heartwarming. And I mean, the day is always a flurry for me. You know, it's just, it's dizzying with the guests coming in and I get a chance to see, you know, the people from the charities, meet some of the families, see the donors, welcome the school groups. And it's always just frenetic. Pandemonium? Yes. This year was so different (laughs) Mm -hmm. because there wasn't all that obviously we can't have people in the building so it was very i was able to hear big chunks of pledge day that i haven't experienced before and i was i was completely overwhelmed by the generosity i was so touched by the stories but but sue it continued so usually it takes about an hour to wrap up pledge day all hands on deck pulling cords moving stuff the so, you know the last few volunteers punching those those last minute pledges mm-hmm. into the the computer, and of course we couldn't do that. Like, the handful of us that were at the station, you guys had to get right out of there. And so uh, Spring from Associations Plus, she was, uh, I I stayed with her, and we continued to put those pledges in. And Sue, there's a couple of community groups I have to shout out to. I asked, I sent them a note and said, you cannot come and help answer phones this year, we cannot meet you. It's, it's a tough year for a lot of people. I understand if you are not able to give to the Children's Foundation, I hope you can give to someone somewhere and, and I hope you guys are okay. I didn't really hear. And I, I, I'm like, well, I'll follow up after pledge day. It's okay. Not everybody can give every year. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Absolutely. Well, sure enough, at the end of the night, Spring says, oh, the ladies from the Greek Orthodox Church down the street, they made a $2,500 donation. No. I almost... I almost I lost wow. it right there, like they do so much. They're, they they're are helping the drop-in center. Mm-hmm. They're doing. They're all over the community, and then the Lions Club. So everybody here has heard of the Lions Club. Oh yeah, great worldwide outreach organization. Well, there's several in Southern Alberta. One has been with us since the beginning of Pledge Day, and that's the Eastport Lions. They always come and answer the phones at six o'clock in the morning. Didn't hear from them. Sure enough. We got $2,000 from them and the Properties Lions Club also kicked in $1,000. So there I was, honestly, Sue, 8 o'clock at night on Friday. Still
0: inputting money.
1: Oh, and my heart was was overflowing because I know how much these people love coming down in person. But I also know how much great work they're doing in the community. Uh, You know, our friends at Global Television, their month of giving is ongoing. We know the need is everywhere. And so... You know, the fact that we were able to get another piece this year was fantastic, but I just had to shout out because the work that they do throughout southern Alberta is remarkable. And, yeah, can you
0: tell I'm, like, still, like, (laughs) basking, overwhelmed? I can. You know, and we should just remind folks that Calgary Children's Foundation, you know, it it focuses on those, those little groups, those small charities that don't get any of the flash and the pomp and circumstance that many do.
1: That's right, Sue. The majority of the charities are too small for their own communications or fundraising departments. Now, that said, we still give to some of the bigger names because of the type of reach and the number of of, uh, young people that they can reach, and also they... Um, they're doing really important stuff. A great example is the Distress Centre. Everyone knows mm-hmm. the Distress Centre. Their Connect Teen Program, only one in Canada, by the way, is that is peer-to-peer support. So we support them so they could train more volunteers, so they can reach out to young people who are texting in distress or calling in distress. So, yeah, we really try and well, our goal is to catch the kids falling through the cracks
0: Mm -hmm. i heard that interview with danielle uh with the connect teen and the teens who volunteer their time to talk to other teens and let's face it they're having a rough go right now through this pandemic Uh, you know i feel bad for a lot of these young people who are really having a tough time with you -hmm. know the issues as a result of it so to have that that program here we're so lucky well their hockey's pulled their dances pulled like
1: it's a, it is a very very difficult time for young people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So what all the money we raised on Friday now that will that's in the pot, and then early in the new year we are going to ask the charities to apply for funding, and then in the spring the board will meet and disperse that money back out into the community. Okay. So yeah, it's going to do great things. But Sue, I've got one more thing. I've got a note from Spring. Uh, last night, she popped online because, of course, you can donate anytime online. Sure, Calgary Children's Children's Foundation. Foundation. com. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. If you've got it down pat.
1: Uh, we cracked the $300,000 mark over wow. the weekend.
0: Yes. So that thank is- you. That's so amazing. Okay, so more than $300,000. Thank you, Calgary. I mean, it's just, it's overwhelming, isn't it? Because we know how difficult it's been for so many. And then there were some who have had a good year as a result of what's been going on in our world. And boy, they were f- feeling very generous and, and donating big amounts. But even the people who didn't have very much this year, $10, $20 bucks here and there, yeah. boys that make a difference when it all yeah. is totaled up.
1: It's so true. My kid in New Brunswick, I think she pledged 10 or $15. She sent me a note. I hope you're having a good day. Sorry, it's not a lot. Aww. I'm like, oh. And then our first call of the day yeah. was a gentleman that matched the Popowicz-Carmelli uh, challenge. We got a huge, beautiful, lovely $10,000 donation. And then a little bit later in the day, we had an anonymous donor that came with a $25,000 challenge. So just like you said, those that could do more really did. And those of you who could do the 2025, thank you so much. It is going to go so far.
0: Let's talk about, uh, you know, you mentioned the the charities. People can get their charity registered to perhaps get a piece of that pot. How do they do that?
1: okay so late january uh, there will be a link on the calgary Ch- children's foundation website and it will direct you to apply online last year was the first year we did the online application we had a couple of little uh, bumps but i think that will all be ironed out for 2021 so what we're looking for is you need a charitable number you need or at least you need to be in the process of registering uh, so that that can be a Hiccup. So it's important that you're a registered charity and you need to be working with children 18 and under. So whether your charity is just about kids or you have a program that is just for kids, that is fine. Uh, as long as it's some type of need. We give to kids at uh, programs to help kids at risk, kids in need, kids with developmental, physical challenges. Like it's really, we really want to try and and capture as mm-hmm. many kids as possible with a, as varying needs as possible. Perfect. Once in a while, once in a while, Sue, there will be one-off donations, but that's, that doesn't happen all of the time. But sometimes there is, like, one particular yeah. um, individual that has a need, and, and, and the board will look at it, but it's generally those little, those little oh, they're, you know what, they're parent-driven, and they can- parent-founded little organizations that say, hey, my, my kid and their peers have a special need. So I always think about our HeartBeats Children Society. We were unable to um, grant them any uh, funds in 2020. But it's a group of parents that volunteer their time to help uh, send their kids with congenital heart defects to camp. Uh,
0: it's beautiful. I mean, you do such great work. We've got to cut it short there. But CalgaryChildrensFoundation.com if you want to apply. Thank you for everything, Betty Jo. And thank you, Calgary. More than $300,000 raised on Pledge Day. 619 on your Monday morning and extremist groups have been promoting disinformation about COVID-19 in an attempt to capitalize on the pandemic according to declassified Canadian intelligence files. Global News online investigative reporter Stuart Bell joins us now with more details. Good morning, Stuart. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. So, what are these declassified intelligence files telling us? What what is this all about?
2: Well, I mean, Global News was able to get a whole cache of Canadian intelligence files uh that show how CSIS has been monitoring the pandemic and its fallout on uh, national security issues. And uh, there's a whole bunch of issues, um, such as state sponsorship of uh, disinformation. But one of the issues also is how extremist groups, uh, particularly the what you would classify, I guess, as right-wing extremist groups, um, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, anti-government groups, have been trying to exploit the pandemic in order to promote promote their own um, agendas and worldviews, recruit people, and raise money as well.
0: So, how does the disinformation help them? Is it is it by you know saying that the government is lying to us? Come join us, and we'll rise up, kind of thing.
2: Well, it's in- interesting because the the intelligence files actually show kind of a division within the extremist movement about um, about how to treat COVID. On, on the one hand. Um, extremist groups have been encouraging uh, a lot of uh, conspiracy theories, that kind of thing, um, trying to, um, you know, sort of, I guess promote uh, distrust of the government and of, um, uh, you know, of health authorities and that kind of thing. On the other hand, some groups have been taking a different tack, which is saying don't deny that the um, pandemic is real or that it's, uh, don't classify it as a conspiracy. Instead, promote societal panic because that will help us mm. uh, achieve our goal which is basically to tear down society as it exists and rebuild it in a new form.
0: And sadly we've seen examples of that even here. You know, the Proud Boys were at the anti-mask rally here in Calgary over the weekend. What is the Canadian government doing, if anything? Does, it, does this information tell you what the, the government's trying to do to battle this misinformation and these groups?
2: Well, I mean, the reality is there's not a lot you can do to battle a disinformation or misinformation except to try and call it out. And I think perhaps that's what's ca- happening here is uh, trying to just make sure Canadians are fully aware that some of the things that are circulating, particularly online, um, are not only false, but they're being circulated by um, authoritarian governments, by extremist groups that are just trying to, um, to cause havoc in our society. And so you know, to be a little more discerning about the information you pass on and the sources that it comes from.
0: Great point. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate the update. Thank you. That is Stuart Bell, Global's National Online Investigative Journalist. 6.49 now and it is the season of giving and one financial educator thinks one of the best presents you can give your kids this holiday season is the gift of learning about money. Tom Matthews is co-author of How Money Works and he joins us now with some tips to get the conversation flowing. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. I agree. I think this is hugely important. And what better time around the time where kids, you know, have to go out maybe and buy presents for mom and dad or their siblings. So now's the time to really talk to them, isn't it?
3: Well, that's why we say a financial education is something you should start as young as possible. You know, you're never too young to learn about money and and how important it is and what role it plays in your life so that's where we think you ought to start.
0: So can you give us a a couple of tips? Maybe my kids, for example, are 11 and 14. So they get a bit of an allowance, but we have to give them a little bit more money to go out and and buy gifts. Is that the right thing to do? Are we doing it wrong? What do you suggest?
3: Well, no, that's, that's a good idea. You should make sure they have a budget and and think before they spend and, and maybe set a, a goal of how much they could spend on each person and, and keep that within a a reach of, of that budget. But we also think that when they have an allowance and things like that, that they should they should learn to save some of that, maybe even invest some of that, and be start preparing for their future right away.
0: Best ways to invest it is that that sort of a, you know the three jars kind of idea.
3: Well, well, to a degree. I mean, we always recommend people get with their financial professional and, and, and talk about it. Yeah, but but the thing that a, a child has that none of us have anymore is they have so much time they've got almost an unlimited amount of time. I mean, they very well could live to be over 100. And in that period of time, a very small amount of money over that kind of a length of time could be just a fortune worth of savings.
0: So do you, do you think that it, uh, is that a wise thing to do? And is there a certain age where you would start them maybe talking to a financial advisor, which I know can sometimes go over their head, but is there is there an age where that can begin where they meet and then see what, what happens to money if you invest it early?
3: Well, sure. And, and they could do things like read our, our How Money Works book. And it's it's written on, on that kind of a level for they, all the way down to a child can understand it and, and make it fun. And uh, maybe not involve them in the whole conversation with your financial professional, but, but at least some portion of it so they can see what this is. And, and as you share with them, you know, uh, things like an allowance, encourage them working with your professional to, to save that in the right place and to look at the statements and watch it grow and know what that means that along with financial literacy can come financial security that if you have money you have options you have choices that you wouldn't if you didn't
0: so true tom how important is it to talk about want versus need with kids
3: i I think it's really important especially every year when all these new toys come out and new technology and they always want to have the latest And, and that's great to want the latest but there's there's also needs and and things that need to be paid for. And of course, as, as children, they're not doing that yet, but they need to understand where they fit in and things like clothing and food and a place to live, those things come before the, the toys and the new technology.
0: And giving really is key at this point in time too, especially this time of the year, to really understand what it means to give to others.
3: Yes, you know, there's, we're, we're all so fortunate to have the lives that we have and, and be able to do the things that we do. And there's so many out there that aren't that fortunate that uh, I think teaching children the spirit of giving and 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 making sure that that somebody else can have as, as nice a time as you have is, is very important
0: thanks so much for joining us Tom we'll uh, talk about your your book more I'm sure as we go through because that's a it's a great way to get the conversation going with the kids appreciate your time
3: thank you so much
0: that is Tom Matthews certified financial educator and co-author of how money works and it's how com. 609 now. Last week was one of the most devastating weeks in the U.S. since the coronavirus pandemic began nine months ago. Joining, joining us with an update on COVID and politics south of the border is Reggie Giacchini, Global's Washington correspondent. Morning, Reggie.
4: Good morning. Happy Monday.
0: Happy Monday to you. Thanks for joining us. Boy, scary stuff down in the States right now. Friday, national single-day records set. I mean, the hospitalizations topping 100,000. It's just, it's out
4: of control. It is out of control. Uh, and th- the thing is, is that Americans knew that this was was coming. And while hospitals have been doing everything that they can to try and prepare for this surge that has now arrived, uh, there are still a growing number of Americans who are pushing back on the restrictions, pushing back on the mitigation efforts. And that's why we saw last week 1 million confirmed cases uh, in a six-day period, 30,000 confirmed cases uh, in California in one day. And as you said, hospitalizations now at a record 101 plus thousand, leaving more field hospitals to have to start opening up.
0: So the numbers continue to climb. Donald Trump's still not really, you know, pushing for masking President-elect Joe Biden is, but the, there's still a lot of time between now and when he comes into power. You know, anything, is, does it look like anything can be done at this point?
4: Well, I mean, look, the president has all but walked away from the coronavirus pandemic, at least when it comes to leading the country forward. He's more focused on overturning the election results. And Joe Biden can't really do anything until he actually takes power. So all he can do is implore Americans to actually pay attention to the mitigation efforts. But look, even the coronavirus task force and Dr. Deborah Burks over the weekend said uh, just because a vaccine is on the doorstep does not mean that this is going to be the end. This is kind of that long last mile between vaccine rollout and when things are actually going to- to hit the general public into mid next year meaning these numbers are going to get worse and potentially become even more problematic for joe biden once he takes office
0: are we right now are we a couple of weeks past the u.s thanksgiving date is that why we're seeing that big spike
4: Yeah, we are uh, on the approach to the two-week moment from uh, Thanksgiving, and that is why there is a fear that between now and just before Christmas, we're going to see the highest amount uh, of cases uh, from that Thanksgiving surge, which is then going to bleed into uh, what's expected to be another surge from people gathering over Christmas and New Year's, uh, potentially, again, posing problems right as Joe Biden goes to take office uh, on January 20th. You'll kind of have a double dose of surge kind of rushing towards that day.
0: That song leading into uh, you joining us, Ira. Rudy Giuliani tests positive for COVID. He's in the hospital. Is there any word on his conditions that sound like it's a bad case or not? Or? Uh,
4: so all we know is that the, the symptoms that he's experiencing are mild. It is uh, questionable as to why he was hospitalized so quickly after announcing, or at least after the president announced it via tweet uh, on Sunday, whether or not it's because the, ca- the symptoms are more severe or just because he's well-connected and able to get uh, the kind of treatment that everyone else is still trying to push for. Nonetheless, this is problematic, given the fact that he has been on a blitz across the country in four or five different states to try and again push this overturning of the election results but having been in contact with so many people and a late night statement from the Trump campaign or at least the legal team said that nobody needs to quarantine uh, because these symptoms just showed up you know over the weekend when we know that's simply not how Mm -hmm. this works.
0: And speaking of you know when you thought the 2020 election season was over all eyes on Georgia right now President Trump there for a weekend rally still spouting untruths about election results but big rallies with a lot of people not wearing masks.
4: Not wearing masks, fearful that there could be a surge in cases which could become problematic heading into the runoff election if it potentially works to depress any of that turnout. The president's words also potentially said to depress some turnout, at least for Republicans. There's a fear amongst GOP that the president's presence may actually cause harm to one, if not both, of those runoff races, which, again, is going to determine whether or not Joe Biden has a stronghold on the entire U.S. government. Can
0: you explain that? What do do these two runoffs actually mean?
4: So these two runoffs essentially are going to determine uh, the Senate and who gets to control it. It's held by two Republicans right now. Uh, if Democrats are able to make gains in that, it would put the Senate in an even 50-50 split with Democrats and Republicans. And in that situation, the vice president will always cast a tie-breaking vote. Starting January 20th, the vice president will be Kamala Harris, meaning that Democrats would control the House, control the White House, and they would have the tie-breaking vote in any vote in the Senate.
0: So do Republicans need to win both? Can they split them?
4: They need to win both. Uh, if they split them, it would still become a Democrat, a Republican stronghold. It would be a 5149, uh, stronghold for Republicans. You know, there's always a chance for negotiations to bounce things over that 50 mark, but that's why this is such a rush for Democrats to try and get control of this. They haven't had those Senate seats in decades, but as we just saw, you know, just over a month ago, uh, Democrats flipped the, the, the uh, presidential seat for the first time, uh, in 30 years. So really anything is possible right now.
0: Let's talk about those, uh, presidential election results expected to be finalized. Is is it this week or next?
4: Uh, December 14th is okay. when the Electoral College meets.
0: Are we expecting any change in results at this point?
4: No. Look, there's always a potential for one or two electors to become faithless or to go in another direction. We usually see that in, in a typical election year. But for the for for, the, for you know any kind of hope for the president to have that the Electoral College is simply going to overturn the results that were given to them by the American people is unlikely. One week from today, we are likely looking at an electoral victory for Joe Biden, which would make it nearly impossible for anybody to overturn these results. Results uh, to bring them back in Donald Trump's favor.
0: Any big cases of fraud that are panning out and turning out to be uh, truthful as to what Donald Trump says?
4: No, all of these cases uh, have no evidence. That is why you're seeing judge after judge throw them out. They're being dismissed. They're being withdrawn. It's going to be pro- more problematic now that they don't have Rudy Giuliani on the trail. Jenna Ellis, who is the other lawyer in the Trump world, uh, it's unclear whether or not she's going to be going into quarantine, given the fact that she was sitting next to him. If that's the case, this entire legal team is going to be sidelined and benched in that final week as they really do what they can to overturn election results when they have no case in front of them.
0: Hasn't that been ironic to see how COVID, you know, denying COVID, COVID has really come back to bite the president, not just at the election, but even now with, you know, his team that's trying to overturn the results.
4: Well, I mean, look, you, if you're the president, you, you, you should have seen over the last several months when you've had dozen upon dozens of people in your inner circle coming down with the virus and you yourself caught the virus, uh, and were hospitalized at Walter Reed. You, sh- you there, there should have been an understanding here amongst the president that this virus is real and this virus can do damage to you, whether or not you're the president or whether you're just an average citizen. Uh, and there is now a consequence now for the fact that they have been running around without masks and flouting the be- the, the, the kind of efforts that have been underway in this country for the last 11 months to try and keep these case numbers down. Look, it was 11 months ago. The president said this would be gone uh, in, you know, 7, 10, 14 days, if not one. And here we are 11 months later. And now the one person who's in charge with trying to get Donald Trump his victory back uh, is sidelined in the hospital.
0: Now, Trump was right that the vaccine was coming pretty quickly. Who will get it first? Has that been rolled out?
4: So, so states are going to make the one, uh, be the ones who make the decision on who gets the vaccine first. The CDC has recommended that it go to uh, frontline workers, that it go to residents inside uh, uh, assisted living homes, not the people themselves, but the people who are working there and living there to ensure that everyone's taken care of. But again, it's going to be up to the states to be able to roll this out. There's a couple of hundred thousand doses heading to New York, a couple hundred thousand heading to California. It's based on the population of each state. There's roughly 20 million Americans who will be getting this uh, vaccine. Again, that's not enough to you know ensure that the rest of the country is going to be safe, which is why the Coronavirus Task Force is saying just because there's a vaccine here does not mean that the virus is gone.
0: Thanks for the update, Reggie. Stay safe. 720 and it's a new approach to treating breast cancer patients which brings together a combination of traditional methods and technology with the details this morning we're joined by dr ted jablonski our on-call family physician good morning dr J.
5: good morning
0: super important news tell us about this new approach
5: well, this is, uh, this is really great news. Uh, when it comes to pass uh, in real time is another story. But essentially, this is about ductal carcinoma in situ. So that's a long word. This is a, a pre-malignancy breast cancer. If you do a mastectomy, you're 100% cured of this cancer. It hasn't gone anywhere. It's just sitting there. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, by treating with mastectomy or something very aggressive, you're over-treating something that may not do anything. So what this science is all about is trying to understand which cancers will be aggressive and which cancers are just going to be benign and just sit there and not have to worry about.
0: How many types of breast cancer are there?
5: Oh, there's all kinds. But this is a a forerunner of, of potential trouble. And it's caused us a lot of grief medically because we don't want to be overly aggressive. If there's a cancer that's really not going to do much, We don't want to do surgery, we don't want to do radiation and chemotherapy, but we've sort of been stuck to do that because we can't differentiate what's what early enough. So the science, essentially what they figured out is if you think of a cancer as like a little factory, let's say a factory that makes dirt, factory that makes asphalt, and one that makes concrete and steel, Like, if it's just dirt, nothing happens. Asphalt could start making roads, could be a bit of problem. But if it's making concrete and steel, Mm -hmm. it's making bridges, it's going to take off, it's going to actually cause trouble. So what they did is they tagged these things chemically, and then they got a very, very sophisticated camera. And they say it's the equivalent of uh, uh, astronomical uh, cameras looking at all the stars. And they were able to see the earliest images of where bridges were being built with this concrete and steel. And if they saw that, they know this was aggressive. This one has to be treated. If they saw one that just made dirt in little tiny piles, they could sit on that forever. And this is a big breakthrough with this science.
0: Truly a game changer and perhaps a lifesaver too.
5: Well, a lifesaver, absolutely, and could spare uh, a lot of women a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Because right now, if we make the, the stance of not doing aggressive therapy and just watching, you have breast cancer and you're watching it. <laughs> that's, a, that's putting people in a very, very mm-hmm. difficult place. That's why people mostly want more aggressive therapies. Yes, I know it. something may not happen, but... I don't want to be that that one right. you know, where it does take off. So, so a lot of women are disfigured by surgery, or you know, get radiation, get chemotherapy. This is not a, a great tact if if nothing's happening. So, this will be the differentiator eventually, and hopefully, it'll really uh, change the lives of a lot of women.
0: Great news! Thank you so much, Doctor J. Ah, uh, you betcha. That is Doctor Ted Jablonski.